sings today in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal, but if you do and you're not sure where that book is, turn your Bible over and start in the back because 2 Peter is much closer to the end than the beginning. You'll flip past Revelation, then Jude, then 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, then you'll find yourself in 2 Peter, just 8 to 10 pages or so from probably the backs of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, all the scripture will be on the screen, so you'll be able to follow along, no big deal. Uh, Pull your notes out of your bulletin. Those are going to be really important for you to have, not just today, but moving forward. And if you have our online app and you're taking notes that way, today's notes are going to be, I think, critically important for you, especially those of you who are parents and grandparents. And if you're watching online, make sure you get the notes from wherever you are, some valuable resources on our notes today. I want to pick up where we left off at Easter, because we're in the book of 2 Peter today, and for those of you who were with us at Easter, our Bible study title at Easter was And Peter. Easter, we said Jesus resurrecting from the dead was for all the people who really follow Jesus and Peter. And we said Peter represented people who at one point had followed God and kind of drifted away. Uh, Peter represented people who thought they were disqualified spiritually, people who said, there's a lot of people in the world who are Christians, and there's people like me. I don't think that's for me. Uh, We saw that Easter represented everyone, and at Easter, Jesus went to Peter and said, listen, I know all your failures. I know all your faults. I'm not going to hold those against you because I want you to come and follow me. So So let's get back in the game. You say, what happened after that? Great question. Number one, what happened after and Peter? We see that Peter recommitted his life as a follower of Jesus. And he became the leader of the Christian church. He was around for two of the most powerful moments. Number two, he preached the message on the day of Pentecost that would see the Holy Spirit fall on God's people as the power of God's church that Jesus said he would send in Acts chapter 1. And then he would, in Acts chapter 10, number three, oversee the conversion of the first Gentile to the Christian faith. The first several thousand people to follow Jesus were Jews, but then this Roman soldier named Cornelius said, can I follow him too? I'm not a religious person. Person, but I'd like to follow Jesus, and Peter led him to faith in Jesus Christ as well. Number four, he would eventually be jailed in Rome, and he would be martyred by an emperor named Nero because of his faith and his leadership in the Christian faith movement. But while he was in jail, before he was killed, he wrote one final letter helping Christians understand what to expect as the world drew to an end and the kingdom of God drew near. In chapter one, he actually said, I'm getting ready to die. But before I die, I want to give you some final instruction. And then in chapter two, he began to say, this is what you need to look forward to as the world begins to kind of draw to an end and the kingdom of God draws near. As the end times come, here's how you'll be able to see those things. We're going to read about that today in second Peter chapter two. But my goal for you today is not to learn as much about the end times as about today in your life. So my prayer for you is that you'll learn about today in your life as we study about the end time. So would you just bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? And would you take just a deep breath this morning? And, and would you prepare your heart over the next 20 or 25 minutes to hear about today in your life? And if, if you're a praying person, would you just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you about your today and what you need to learn to address a mess in your life or the life of somebody close to you that needs help. God, as we read about the end times, speak to us about our today. That's our prayer. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, 
Amen. Second Peter chapter two, the first 11 verses are about false teachers in the end times. Peter will say in the end times, there's going to be a lot of people saying a lot of different crazy things. Here's how you will know who you can listen to and who you can't listen to. In verse 12, he said, these are going to be the type of people rejecting spiritual things in the end times. You should be aware of them as well. And he says this in second Peter chapter two, verses 12 through 15. He said, these people will blaspheme in matters they don't understand. They're like unreasoning animals creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed. They are an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. Now, let me set the context of what Peter is saying and how that's going to move into this series that we are in. Number one, Peter is speaking about the type of people who will live in the end times. He's writing 2,000 years ago. He's sitting in a jail in Rome. He's waiting to die by a wicked ruler named Nero who will crucify him upside down the day after his wife and his children are killed because he won't recant his faith. He was just going to crucify him normally, but according to church history, Peter said, I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus did. So they crucified him upside down as well. He's writing a letter to tell the world, this is what the world's going to look like at the end of times. And number two, he describes the end times generation as a people who have eyes full of adultery to the point where they can't stop sinning. He said a generation of people is coming who will have eyes full of adultery to the point where they cannot stop sinning. Let me ask you our key question today. Do you have end times eyes? Do you have end times eyes? Eyes full of adultery to the point where you can't stop sinning. We're in week two of a series called Address the Mess. Pastor Ryan last week did an incredible job of talking about how kind of spiritual footholds, hangups in our life can become strongholds, how strongholds can become addictions, and addictions can just stop us in our tracks spiritually, relationally, financially, in our career, and how we have to address those things. Today, we're going to be addressing the topic of pornography. And I want you to know it's as uncomfortable for me to talk about as it is for you to listen to. For those of you who are like first-time guests, sorry. Like, like, sorry, this is the first time you came to our church. I was talking to somebody this week who said, I'm bringing one of my friends for the first time this week. And like, my heart was like, no. And I was like, that'll be great. But I thought hopefully they'll like miss this week and come next week. This is a difficult topic, especially in this day and age to talk about, but at least it's not mother's day because this message originally was the third message in this series. And when we saw that was mother's day, my wife told me, Christian, If you preach on pornography on Mother's Day, you will never have a mother come back to our church. In the history of journey, you will have a men's ministry, not a church. You cannot preach on pornography on Mother's Day. So um, we moved it. If you're here for the very first time, um, God knew you were coming, and maybe he wanted you to learn something today that's going to help somebody in your life who you care deeply about, and maybe you're not even aware yet that they have this mess in their life. Here's what we're going to try to do today. Three goals that I have for you. Awareness, attitude, and action. Um, What do you need to be aware of? As a Christian living in the year 2019, as a grandparent living in the year 2019, as a teenager living in the year 2019, what do you need to be aware of as a Christian in this area of pornography? What should be our attitude? What should be the attitude of someone who says they're a follower of Jesus 
towards pornography and what action should we take? If we're aware of it, if we struggle with it, if it's a mess in our life or our family's life, what do we do? Those are the three goals today. Peter predicted a generation would arise whose eyes were so filled with adultery. They had seen so much illicit sexual activity that they just couldn't get out of their head and they could not stop sinning as a result of it. Peter said that generation was coming. I don't know about you. I feel like maybe that's ours. I mean, maybe when we study research, maybe that's our generation. If that's us, how do we address it? Three ways today. Number one, we need to understand pornography is a crisis to avoid. This message is first and foremost, most important to people in the room who have children under the age of eight or grandchildren under the age of eight. Because for you, pornography could be this massive crisis to avoid. Danielle and I have a a couple who's a friend of ours who were in ministry who were raised in radically different ways. And when they started their premarital counseling, they realized there was some tension in their relationship. Um, The girl and the relationship had been raised in a real Dave Ramsey-esque household, no debt, save money, put money in envelopes, pay cash for everything. She graduated from college, zero student loans, um, zero car payment, zero credit card debt, a fully funded emergency fund. She said yes when her fiance dropped to a knee and said, will you marry me? And a few sessions into their premarital counseling, when they got to the financial part of it, she found out her husband had more than $100,000 in student loans. And it was like, oh, like we are going to start our marriage with this major hole to climb out of that I didn't dig. But then now is my responsibility too. Like I, like I, I now am on the hook for your deficit. For those of you who are in the room and you have daughters who are not married, who are under the age of 30, there is a 90% chance statistically they are going to get engaged to and marry someone who has been majorly engaged in pornography. They're going to start their marriage with a sexual deficit that they had maybe no part of, even though researchers tell us 40% of 18-year-olds, 40% 40 of people under the age of 18 looking at pornography are female. Many of you with daughters are going to have a daughter say yes to marry someone who has had already thousands of sexual experiences in his eyes with hundreds of different girls. And if you're like me, my daughter's 15, I've already begun to say, Casey, probably the guy you're going to date is going to view you this way. He's going to think about you this way. And one day you're going to get married. But before you get married, we, this is something, we are not going blind into this because I've only been in ministry 20 years, but every time I've done marriage counseling before or after someone has been married and the issue of pornography has come up, it's been a negative, not a positive. So Casey, I want to get you ready because you're probably going to say yes to someone who has a major deficit in this area. It's a hole they've dug, not that you've dug, but together you're going to have to climb out of it. Pornography is a crisis to avoid because we live in a world, Peter said, that has gone the way of Balaam. Now that is a great line of scripture, a world that's gone the way of Balaam, especially if you understand who who Balaam is. You say, who is Balaam? And what did, what did Balaam do? Balaam was a prophet in Numbers chapter 22. When the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they'd been slaves there for 400 years and they were heading to the promised land. They kind of camped right on the outskirts of Israel. Um, and Moab was the country that they were kind of camped nearby. And the king of Moab looked at these millions of people and he said, holy cow, they're going to conquer us. So he found this prophet named Balaam and he said, will you come and spiritually curse these people so they can't defeat us? He said, no, I don't want to curse anyone. He said, I'll pay you a lot of money. He said, okay, I'll come. 
So he came and he went up on a hilltop and the guy said, curse the people. And he looked at him and God said, those are my people. You can't curse them. So he said, I can't, I can't curse them from this vantage point. Is there anywhere else where I could see them? Three different vantage points. He went and he said, God won't let me curse these people. God said, these are his people. I can't curse them. Balaam said, I cannot curse these people. However, I know how to get them to curse themselves. I can't curse them, but I know how to get them to curse themselves. Balaam refused to curse God's people, but he knew the secret of getting them to curse themselves. And here was the secret he gave to the king of Moab. I can't curse them. However, if the people of God have enough access to sexual immorality, they will forfeit God's greatest promises to them. They'll curse themselves. God won't let me curse them. However, if you can just put enough sexual immorality around them, they will curse themselves. They understand they're a generation that's been slaves for 400 years. They understand they've been living in tents. They've been eating stuff that falls from heaven. They've been struggling to have water. They understand that in a few weeks, they're going into a country that will be their own. It has walled cities. It has fields that grow food. It has places for all their flocks and herd. They understand the greatest promises are just a few days ahead. However, if you put enough sexual immorality around them, they'll forfeit all of that. I can't curse them, but I know how they can curse themselves. Just give them as many opportunities with your daughters, your wives, your nieces. Just give them as many opportunities to sexual immorality as they can have. They will curse themselves. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. And Peter said that will be Satan's plan for the people of God in the end times. Satan can't curse people who've put their faith in Jesus. But he said they can curse themselves if they are surrounded by enough sexual immorality. They'll forfeit all the great promises God has for them if you can just get it in front of their eyes. And folks, we live in an age where it's in front of our eyes. Did you know the average age that an American now is exposed to pornography is 11? 11 is the average age. Although Matt Morrissey, who's a licensed therapist in Seattle, reflecting on his patients said he believes that number for him is closer to eight and often as young as six. Did you know that according to a technology security firm, Bitdefender, who does research on these types of analytics, that children under 10 account for nearly 25% of all pornography consumption for people under the age of 18? So of all the kids under the age of 18 who are looking at pornography, one out of four is under 10 Kids 10 to 14, according to the security firm, account for 36% of all visits to pornography sites for those under the age of 18. So more than three out of 10 that are looking at pornography aren't even in high school yet. And did you know that when it comes to the broad number of people visiting hardcore pornography sites, children under 10 account for 10% of all visits to hardcore pornography sites because they don't know enough to stay away from it and they're just curious as they get online. Folks, pornography is a crisis to avoid. If you have children under the age of 10, if you have grandchildren under the age of 10, we have to address the mess of pornography as a church because there's a crisis to avoid. On the back of your sermon notes, I've given you some resources. The second one of those resources is a website run by a company called Fight the New Drug. And on that website, they talk about how pornography affects the brain of adolescents. You need to just go spend 10 minutes today reading articles and watching the videos of how pornography shapes the brain just like hardcore opiate drugs do for young children and builds addictive qualities into it. See, the most dangerous parenting activity, listen closely, 
is inactivity in crucial areas. The most dangerous parenting activity is inactivity in crucial areas. So if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt, if you're an uncle, if you're a concerned coach, if you're a concerned teacher, and you're saying, when do I begin to talk to my kids about the reality and the dangers of pornography? The answer is as soon as they have access to the internet. That's where it is. As soon as they have access to the internet. When I was growing up, you had to hand somebody a Playboy magazine. Now we hand it to them on our smartphone and we think they're playing Candy Crush, but the reality is everything that was in that magazine is on that phone too. And most of them know how to find it even easier than we do. As soon as they have access to the internet before they have a phone, because research says within six months of having a phone, regardless of how old they are, within six months of having the phone, they will have found their way onto a pornographic site. So you really control the age. You talk to them about it by the age they have access to a phone. You say, well, what do I teach them? I'm not an expert in this area. I understand. What do I, what do I teach them? How do I teach them that it's wrong? What dangers do I teach them avoid, to avoid them more than that? What, why do I teach them God doesn't want them engaged in this. Number two, because there's a standard to uphold. There's a crisis to avoid. But we, un- we need to understand this standard to uphold. See, here's what we have to teach kids in the church. Here's what we have to reteach ourselves in the church. We have to teach them that nudity and sex are not bad things. They're not dirty things. They're not evil things in the right way because God's standard, when we look at God's standard, nudity and sex were both intended to be observed and enjoyed within the boundaries of marriage. God created those things. Nudity, sex, intimacy, oneness, they were all a part of the world before there was a single sin. These were not the good ideas of the internet. These were the God ideas of creation. But then it got broken. But look at how God presented Adam and Eve to each other the first time. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam was naming all the animals in the garden, and he realized after he named them all, there's nobody that looks like me. And God created that longing to let him know the person that he gave him would be his helper and, and basically his mate for the rest of his life, and he caused him to fall into a deep sleep, and he created Eve. And listen to how God presents Eve to Adam. Genesis chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God made a woman. From the rib he taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Adam and Eve's first look at each other, first interactions with each other were both in the nude. I love when teenagers ask me all the time, do you think Adam and Eve had belly buttons? I always say, I don't think that was probably the focus of their eyes. Like the first time they met each other, I don't think either of them thought. Like, I think they thought, what's that? But not about a belly button in in, any way. Like, I don't don't think that's what they were, I don't think that's what they were looking at. I don't think Adam named Eve, whoa, man, because she had a belly button or did not have a belly button. I think it it was other things that he saw as as God said, here, this this is for you. Pastor Mark Driscoll is a pastor in Phoenix, Uh, He spoke at the Stronger Men's Conference that some of our men went to last week. He has a biblical hermeneutic on Genesis 2 that I find brilliant. Hermeneutic means a, a biblical interpretation. And he says Genesis 2 gives us God's standard to uphold when it comes to nudity and sexual interactions. And he uses the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, to show us what God is trying to do for us if we will uphold God's standard. And here is his interpretation of Genesis chapter two. 
God has designed for every man who ever lives the standard of beauty to be their wife because she is the only person he is ever supposed to see in the nude who's female. And just like Adam looked at Eve and thought, whoa, and he committed to her the rest of his life, Driscoll says that God's standard for every man is to see one woman nude, their wife, and that becomes the standard of beauty. What does a beautiful woman look like? My wife. She's the only one I've ever seen. And he believes God's standard for masculinity for the woman is her husband. Ladies, what does is, what is a real man look like? Your husband. Because he's the only one you've ever seen the way that God created him to be. Now, compare and contrast that to the world that we live in, where we have all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors and origins of whatever we look at in the comparison we have. You see, God's standard for the husband and the wife would be that each of them would see each other as God had created them to be. They would be the standard of beauty. They would be the standard of attraction. They would be the standard of enough. There would be no comparison of my wife to some other woman, of my husband to some other man, because my wife or my husband is God's standard of perfection for me, and they're the only one I've ever even seen. That is what a woman looks like. That is what masculinity in a man looks like. That was God's idea. That was God's standard. And Peter said, in the end times, that standard is gone because people don't see beauty in the eye of a beholder. As a matter of fact, if you look into eyes, all you can see is adultery because a generation has been raised with eyes full of adultery, looking on illicit sexual activity that someone that's not your spouse, and it creates a generation of people who cannot stop sinning. Since we live in a generation like that, what are we going to do? I think, number three, we find ourselves having a cause to fight for. I mean, pornography certainly is a a crisis to avoid if we can. Grandma, grandpa, I hope you can. Mom and dad, I I hope you can. It is against the standard that God has given us to uphold. But for those of us who are already engaged in the world of pornography, it's a cause to fight for. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul, who started churches all over the world 2,000 years ago, wrote to one of the churches. He also was in prison. He would be killed by the same Roman emperor Nero. But he told the church in Ephesus, live in a way where you love people well. He said, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Paul said, I want to challenge you. If you call yourself a Christian, walk worthy of what Jesus did for you. And you say, how do I do that? How do I live in a manner that's worthy of what Jesus did for me? Paul said, love people well. Second Peter chapter 2 does not present a generation of people who love people well. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, you don't have a generation filled with people who love people well. You have a generation filled of people who have eyes full of adultery so that they never stop sinning. And he said, they seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed. They're an accursed brood. There's so much to unpack in this verse. I could take months just talking about each one of the words in this verse, but you think about Paul saying, walk worthy of what it means to be a Christian. You say, how do I do that? He says, love 
all people well. And then you hear Peter saying, this is how the end times generation will live. And you see two phrases there that kind of stick out to you and they kind of make your heart skip a beat. He said, you're gonna live in a generation of people who have eyes full of adultery, who two things are happening to allow that. Number one, he said, they are people who seduce the unstable. You're gonna live in a generation not that loves people well, but you're gonna live in a generation that finds the weakest among you and they're going to take advantage of them. When you read any statistics on the world of pornography, you realize that many of the performers in adult entertainment suffer from abuse, suffer from addiction, suffer from depression, suffer from sexually transmitted diseases, suffer from suicide. In some cases, they suffer from sex trafficking. For the most part, the world of adult entertainment is made up of those who are unstable those who need someone to help them, not take advantage of them. Yet Peter said there will be a generation of people whose eyes are so full of adultery, they'll find the weakest people who have no one to defend them. Someone without a dad to say, not my daughter. Someone without a big brother to say, not my sister. Someone without a granddad to say, not my granddaughter. Someone without a coach to say, not a kid on my team. They'll find the weakest people with no one to defend them. And they'll seduce them with a little bit of money, with a lifestyle, with some fame. And they'll say, hey, come let us use you. Why? Because they are experts in greed. Peter said, a world will be filled with people whose eyes are full of adultery. They can't stop sinning because they've learned to seduce the unstable. And they do that because they are experts in greed. They have become perfectionist at taking what they want, even when it's not theirs. Webster's Dictionary defines greed as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than somebody possesses or needs. Greed would be to look at someone who's not your wife and take advantage of her sexually, even if it's just with your eyes. That's not mine, but I want it. And we know that those who run the industry seduce the unstable so they can line their pockets. Peter said, in the end times, there'll be a generation that says, listen, even if having eyes full of adultery demands or results in seducing the unstable... Do it because it meets my need. Do it because it fulfills my desires. It's interesting. Peter doesn't describe pornography as a mess. He describes it as a curse. I mean, we're in a series called Address the Mess, and and this is certainly messy, but Peter doesn't say this is a mess. Peter said this is a curse. And folks, maybe it's your curse. Maybe it's something that in your life or your family has gone beyond a mess, and it's messed up everything. It messed up your mom and dad's marriage. They're not married anymore. It's messed up your relationship with your spouse and you're not sure if you can be married anymore. It's messed up your trust with a husband or wife of 20, 30 or 40 years and there's great tension now. It's messed up a daughter or granddaughter or niece who was abused because some guy saw something on a screen that he thought he would do with someone who's related to you. It's not just a mess, it's messed up everything. If that's you, first hear these words, I'm sorry. I want you to know I'm sorry. As our pastoral team prayed today, said, Christian, how can we pray today? And I said, here's my, here's my biggest fear today that we're gonna drop an emotional bomb into the laps of people who have dealt with this in the past and it's been so horribly painful and like we're just gonna reopen an old wound. I'm afraid that the minute I mention the word pornography, like husbands and wives who are in our congregation, they won't physically move, but spiritually you'll see a wall just go right up between them. I'm afraid we're gonna set people back 
by maybe just glossing over it. Listen, if you've been hurt, I want you to know, I'm sorry, but I want you to know there's hope. There's hope because there's healing as you move forward. Last week, you heard Pastor Ryan talk about addressing his mess of struggling with alcohol. And as I listened to his message on Monday morning, driving down the road to head to the gym, I I heard Pastor Ryan actually start crying, talking about his struggle with alcohol in college. And the thought I had was, I wish I would have struggled with alcohol in college instead of pornography. Because I feel like Christians have more permission to struggle with alcohol than pornography. But that was my secret in elementary school, and it was my habit in college, and it was my heartbreak one month into marriage. When Danielle got on a computer, I didn't know how to erase things on. I said, Christian, it's going to be a deal breaker for us. It's not going to work. This week on our Activate podcast, I take a lot of time to share my journey from a fourth grader walking home from school with a friend who said, look at this, through a wife saying, you're not going to look at this, and rebuilding trust in our relationship. If you've been there, there's hope, there's healing. Check out my story this week and begin your journey towards help. You say, what do I do if I or somebody I know is struggling with pornography? Christian, what do I do? Three things. Number one, confess it to God. Confess it to God and tell him you're sorry for meeting a standard that's not his. Confess it to God. Listen to me, folks, because it's sin. Pornography is sin. Pornography is not sex education, young couples. We're just learning how we can have a better time. No, it's sin. Pornography is sin. It's not training. It's not education. It's not recreational. It's sin. So you need to confess to God, God, I'm sorry that my eyes are being filled with adultery rather than beauty. The beauty of my future husband, future wife, the beauty of my current husband, current wife. Confess it to God. Number two, confess it to a friend or a counselor. This is the freedom point for so many. Most people I've known have confessed to God hundreds of times. God, I never want to do this again. And then they do it. And their breaking point, their freedom point is going to be when they confess it to a friend or a counselor. I don't always recommend without having conversations with people that that be your spouse, husband to wife or wife to husband. Eventually, I think with a counselor, you can bring a spouse in and you can begin to repair some damage done. But I have found it to be unhealthy that a wife holds her husband accountable for pornography or a husband holds his wife accountable for pornography. There's so much hurt there. That's hard. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's hard. So if you're struggling, consider reaching out to somebody. And then number three, clean it up and clean it out. Some of you might need to just throw a smartphone away if you can't, if you can't say no to the desire and the temptation of sin and go back to a flip phone for a few years or get a pager and try to find a pay phone and call home every now and then if you have. You're like, well, whatever you have to do to protect your eyes, protect your spouse, protect your kids, protect your family, clean it, clean it up and clean it out. Delete the files, throw away the old stuff. Did y'all hear about the guy in Michigan suing his parents for $89,000 two weeks ago? He was in Indiana and he got a divorce. His wife left him because he had a pornography addiction. And he had to move in with his mom and dad in Michigan for six months. He brought all of his belongings there, which included a $29,000 collection of pornography, like a master collection of classic pornography. He went and he found another job in Indiana. He moved to Indiana, told mom and dad, ship my stuff down. They shipped everything but that. And he said, where is that? And his dad said, I burned it. It's gone. He's now suing his mom and dad for $89,000. The material loss plus the emotional duress from not having his pornography collection. The newspaper asked his mom and dad, why would you do this? And his dad said, here's what I told my son. Believe it or not, one reason why I destroyed your porn was for your own mental and emotional health. I would have done the same thing had I found a kilo of crack cocaine. Someday, 
I hope you'll understand. You threw away your first life on it. If it's up to me, I'm not gonna let you throw away your second life. Clean it up, clean it out. You say, man, you make it sound so easy, Christian. Do you think I can do it? I do, but you gotta move forward. You say, I've got end times eyes. What do I do? Keep moving forward. Monday after Easter, Danielle and I had to go drop something off at our kid's school. Pulled up in front of school, put the car in park. She got out and started walking around the front of the car to go get something. I took my foot off of the brake to grab my phone and read the news and I almost ran right over her. Um, and she like kind of looked at me and I slammed on the brakes and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I like, I don't know. Like the car is in park, but the car is in drive. Every time I took my foot off the gas, the car would take off, but it was, the gear shift was in park and it was stuck in park. Like I couldn't even click the handle to move it. She's like, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. The car's in park, but the car's in drive. I don't know what's wrong. So I called my friend who's a mechanic and I said, my car's in park, but my car's in drive. Like it want, like, what, what do I do? Do I turn it off? He's no, don't turn it off. So if you, if you turn it off, you will stay right there. You will have to get it towed. Don't turn it off. I said, well, what do I do? And he said, you need to drive here, drive immediately to me. I know what's wrong with your car, but I can only fix it if I'm underneath it. And I need you to literally drive and do not turn it off until you pull over my lift. And I, and I put you up in the air. Do not get someplace where you're going to get stuck and don't get any place where you have to back up because you cannot go backwards. You are stuck in drive until you get to me. So you got to go forward. You say, what do I do if I have end times eyes? You got to go forward. Don't just stay where you are because you're going to get stuck. Don't back up. Don't back up. Keep going forward. See, what what do I do if I have to address this mess? You got to go forward because the garage of grace is open. They know how to fix your heart. The machine shop of mercy has something where they can get you up in the air and they can tinker with the insides and and they can help you. But you got to bring your mess to Jesus. Say, all right, Jesus, help me. Before this message, I ask you to ask God to speak to your hearts. What has he said today? If you're here And you say, I think I need help with a pornography addiction or a pornography mess. We've got two ways for you to very discreetly and very confidentially reach out to us. You can email us or you can send us a text message. If you're here today and you say, I need some help, I think with pornography or my my son or my daughter needs help with pornography or my husband or wife, it's going to ruin our marriage, needs help with pornography. What do we do? You can email to the email pornhelp at takethejourneycc. We've set this up just for this week just for this issue, this goes to our most mature set of pastoral staff and counselors who know how to respond to this issue and begin to help you work your way towards the garage of grace where Jesus can get under the hood and do some work. If you're not an emailing type of person, if you have a smartphone, you can text us. You can text the number 474747 to two words, journey, porn, help. We will this week reach out to you and say, all right, let's get the car up on the lift. Let's begin to get under the hood. Let's move forward. My prayer today is that you feel hope. My prayer today is that you believe there can be healing. My prayer today is that you would trust in the God of the universe who made this beautiful standard that I believe he could kind of re-hardwire us towards if we would just walk towards him. But you have to take the first step of addressing the mess that's maybe messed up everything and has become a curse in your life. Would you pray with me as we consider that? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, but hearts are open. Before this message, you ask God to speak to your heart about your life. What did he say? And what do you need to do to apply that? Two simple questions. What did God say? And what do you need to do to apply what God told you to do? Would you pray and ask that God would help you?
Would you pray a prayer that maybe sounds like this? God, I hear you telling me to do this. Help me to do that. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. Maybe you're in here today and the mess you need to address is broken trust. Maybe your prayer today needs to be to ask God to help you to trust him enough to forgive somebody who's hurt you. To forgive somebody who has broken trust. A spouse, a child, a parent, a co-worker, an employee, an employer. Maybe the mess you have is broken trust. Ask God to help you trust him enough to forgive somebody who's hurt you. Or maybe God brought you here today, parents, so you would know you have to lead strong. This is a crisis that can be avoided if parents will lead strong with a clear picture of a standard to uphold and why that's important. But parents, you gotta lead strong. Your kids can't do it without you. Lead strong. God, help us today by speaking to us and helping us apply the direction you're telling us to move in. Protect the children of this church and the next generation because the parents see the standard to uphold, the cause to fight for, and they get engaged in the battle. That's our prayer. And God, we ask that you'll help us with these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. On the back.